Breathe me in, breathe me out. If I could ever do without. Okay. Treaty with the Nez Perce, 1863. Treaty between the United States of America and the Nez Perce tribe of Indians concluded June 9th, 1863. Ratification advised April 17th. 1867 proclaimed April 20th 1867 Andrew Johnson president of the United States of America let's just start there who is Andrew Johnson Andrew Johnson (laughs) impeachment of Andrew Johnson okay uh, so Wikipedia, you know, we're not diving too deep. Andrew Johnson, Wikipedia, December, uh, so 1808 to 1875. Andrew Johnson was the 17th president of the United States, serving from 1865 to 1869. He assumed the presidency as he was vice president at the time of the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. Oh, Johnson was a Democrat who ran with Lincoln on the National Union ticket. Um... Uh, protection. Uh, he favored quick restoration of the ceded states to the Union without protection for the former slaves. This led to conflict with the Republican-dominated Congress, culminating in impeachment by House of Representatives in 1868. He was acquitted by the Senate by one vote. Dang. Johnson was born into parliament growing Implementing his own presidential reconstruction, a series of proclamations directing the seceded states to hold conventions and elections to reform their civil governments. Southern states returned many of their old leaders and passed black codes to deprive the freedom to deprive the freedmen of many civil liberties. But congressional Republicans refused to see le- legislators from those states and advanced legislation to overrule the Southern actions. Johnson vetoed their bills, and congressional Republicans overrode him, setting a pattern for the remainder of his presidency. Johnson opposed the... Okay, here we go. Now we're getting into it. Johnson opposed the 14th Amendment, which gave citizenship to former slaves. In 1866, he went on an unprecedented national tour promoting his executive policies, seeking to break Republican opposition. As the conflict grew between the branches of government, Congress passed the Tenure of Office Act restricting Johnson's ability to fire cabinet officials. He persisted in trying to dismiss Secretary of War Edwin Stanton, but ended up being impeached by the House of Representatives and narrowly avoided conviction in the Senate. Wow. But ended up being impeached by the House of Representatives and narrowly avoided conviction in the Senate. He did not win the 1868 Democratic presidential nomination and left office the following year. Oh my gosh, this man sounds so familiar. 
Um, so Johnson opposed the 14th Amendment. Let's go and just follow the wiki trail. So the 14th Amendment uh, to the United States Constitution was adopted in July 9th of 19, or excuse me, of 1868 as one of the Reconstruction Amendments. It addressed citizenship rights and equal protection under the law and was proposed in response to issues related to former slaves following the American Civil War. Um, and I read about the 14th Amendment earlier, and I think it had to do with either the Dawes Act or... Sixty-eight, and the Dawes Act was eighty-seven. So yeah, I'm pretty sure that um, that's where that was. Um, let's just look it up. Uh, okay, Fourteenth Amendment. Yeah, so, okay. So the 14th Amendment basically did not include Native Americans. So constitutioncenter.org. Let's see what y'all got to say. Uh, all non-citizen, uh, the act read that, quote, all non-citizen Indian Indians born within the territorial limits of the United States be, and they are hereby declared to be citizens of the United States, provided that the granting of such citizenship shall not in any manner impair or otherwise affect the right of any Indian to tribal or other property. Hmm. Uh, so, con continuing on in ConstitutionCenter.org, American Indians had occupied a unique place since the drafting of the Constitution and citizenship matters. Originally, the Constitution's Article 1 said that, quote-unquote, Indians not taxed uh, could not be counted in the voting population of states, while, say, while slaves were counted as three-fifths of a person. Okay, got it. Um, American Indians were also part of the Dred Scott decision of 1857, but in a much different way. Chief Justice argued that the American Indians, unlike enslaved black people, would become citizens under congressional and legal supervision. The 14th Amendment's ratification in July 1868 overturned Dred Scott and made all persons born or naturalized in the United States citizens with equal protection and due process under the law. But for American Indians, interpretations of the amendment immediately excluded most of them from citizenship. There was enough confusion after the 14th Amendment was ratified about American Indian citizenship that in 1870, the Senate Judiciary Committee was asked to clarify the issue. The committee said that it was clear that the, quote, 
that, quote, the 14th Amendment to the Constitution has no effect whatever upon the status of the Indian tribes within the limits of the United States, end quote, but that, quote, unquote, straggling Indians uh, were subject to the jurisdiction of the United States. Huh. At this time, U.S. Census figures showed that just 8% of American Indians were classified as, quote, unquote, taxed and eligible to become citizens. The estimated American Indian population in the 1870 census was larger than the population of five states of 10 territories, with 92% of those American Indians ineligible to be citizens. Huh. The Dawes Act in 1887 gave American citizenship to all Native Americans who accepted individual land grants under the provisions of statuses and treaties, and it marked another period where the government aggressively sought to allow other parties to acquire American Indian lands. Okay. The issue of American Indian birthright citizenship wouldn't be settled until 1924 when the Indian Citizenship Act conferred citizenship on all American Indians. At the time, 125,000 of an estimated population of 300,000 American Indians weren't citizens. The Indian Citizenship Act still didn't offer full protection of voting rights to Indians. As late as 1948, two states, Arizona and New Mexico, had laws that barred many Native Americans from voting, and American Indians faced some of the same barriers as black people until the passage of the Civil Rights Act of 1865, including Jim Crow Act or Jim Crow-like tactics and poll taxes. Wow. Okay, so that was the confusion with the 14th Amendment. So let's see. National Park Service, American Indians and the 14th Amendment. To what extent did the 14th Amendment impact American Indians? Oh, girl, this is a course. No, just give me the answer. Okay. <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, so that's who Andrew Johnson is then. Andrew Johnson opposed the 14th Amendment, which gave citizenship to former slaves. Um, and so even in a document that was ambiguous, to American Indian Native American people, uh, he opposed um, the amendment to give citizenship to former slaves. So, he, yeah, he just, uh, wow. So, again, just not the best person. So, this Andrew Johnson uh, is the very top of the treaty with the Nez Perce, or, yeah, treaty with the Nez Perce of 1863. Um, that's who this man is, uh, and that's who we're dealing with as president. So, Andrew Johnson, the president of the United States of America, to all and singular to whom these presents shall come greeting. Ooh, I don't know if I'm ready. Okay. Who come greeting. Whereas a treaty was made and concluded at the council ground in the Valley of the Lapway in the territory of Washington on the ninth day of June in the year of our Lord 1863 by and between Calvin H. Hale Charles Hutchins and S.D. Howe, commissioners on the part of the United States, and lawyer uh, Utsin Malik Malikum Hark Twesta 
and other chiefs and headmen of the Nez Perce tribe of Indians on the part of said Indians and duly authorized thereto by them, which treaty is in the words and figures following to wit. Boom. Okay, so the introduction again. So it's uh, the cast of characters or Andrew Johnson, who is at the time the president of the United States. Um, there's also Calvin Hale, Charles Hutchins, and S.D. Howe, their commissioners on the part of the United States. On the other side, there's lawyer um, Utsin Milikum, Harhart Twesta, and other chiefs and headmen of the Nest Purse. So that's one, two, three. Um, three names and some quote-unquote other chiefs and headmen of the Nez Perce tribe of Indians on the part of said Indians and duly authorized thereto by them which treaties in the words and figures to follow. So um, in Lapway on June 9th in 1863, Calvin Charles and S, who are commissioners of the U.S., uh, and representing Andrew Johnson, the president of the U.S., met with lawyer Yutsen Melikum Hahark Twesta and other chiefs and headmen of the Nest Purse, um, where this agreement is going to happen. And this is the treaty, and the, these are the figures right here. Um, here we go. Treaty between the United States of America and the Nez Perce Indians concluded at the Council Ground in the Valley of Lapway, June 9, 1863. Articles of agreement made and concluded at the Council Ground in the Valley of the Lapway, WT, on the 9th day of June, 1863, between the United States of America by those people, territory acting on the part, and in behalf of the United States and the Nez Perce Indians by the chiefs, headmen, and delegates of said tribe, such articles being supplementary and amendatory to the treaty made between the United States and said tribe on the 11th day of June 1855. So everything that was said in the Treaty of 1855 those articles this is this what's about to be talked about now is going to supplement that uh, and it's going to amend that treaty so it's going to either support it or change parts of that treaty that was already established in 18, 1855 uh, and remember that treaty already has a, a reference to another treaty of 1854 um, to the uh, the Omaha so uh, we're linking to two other treaties, um, one outside of the territory, one within the territory. Um, so yeah, this is uh, the treaty that's about to be discussed between these people um, is going to support all of that wordage, all of that verbiage that's already been talked about, uh, as well as amend it. And this is Article 1. The said Nez Perce tribe agreed to relinquish and do hereby relinquish to the United States the lands heretofore reserved for the use and occupation of the said tribe, saving and accepting so much thereof as is described in Article 2 for a new reservation. So the Nez Perce, the Nimipu, agreed to give up and from this point on actually do give up to the United States um, the lands that we're going to talk about that are reserved for the use of occupation of the tribe, of the Nez Perce people, um, saving and accepting so much thereof. Uh, so so saving, so basically everything will be laid out here in Article 2. 
all of that stuff uh, will be a new reservation. Um, yeah, all of that stuff will be a new reservation. So moving directly into Article 2, the United States agreed to reserve for a home and for the sole use and occupation of said tribe the tract of land included within the following boundaries to wit. Commencing at the northeast corner of Lake Waha and running thence northerly to a point on the north bank of the Clearwater River, three miles below the mouth of the Lapway, thence down the north bank of the Clearwater to the mouth of the Hatwai Creek, thence due north to a point seven miles distance, thence, easter, thence eastwardly to a point on the north fork of the Clearwater, seven miles distant from its mouth, thence to a point on Orfino Creek, five miles above its mouth, thence to a point on the north fork of the south fork of the Clearwater, five miles above its mouth, thence to a point on the south fork of the Clearwater, one mile above the bridge on the road leading to Elk City, so as to include all the Indian farms within the forks, thence in a straight line westwardly to the place of the beginning. All of which tracts shall be set apart, and the above-described boundaries shall be surveyed and marked out for the exclusive use and benefit of said tribe as an Indian reservation, nor shall any white man, excepting those in the employment of the Indian department, be permitted to reside upon the said reservation without permission of the tribe and the superintendent and agent. The said tribe agrees that so soon after the United States shall make the necessary provision for fulfilling the stipulations of this instrument as they can conveniently arrange their affairs, and not to exceed one year from its ratification, they will vacate the country hereby relinquished and remove to and settle upon the lands herein reserved for them, except as may be hereinafter provided." In the meantime, it shall be lawful for them to re reside upon any ground now occupied or under cultivation by said Indians at this time, and not included in the reservation above named, and it is provided that any substantial improvement heretofore made by any Indian, such as fields enclosed and cultivated, or houses erected upon the lands hereby relinquished, and which he may be compelled to abandon in consequence of this treaty, shall be valued under the direction of the President of the United States, and payment therefore shall be made in stock or in improvements of an equal value for said Indian upon the lot which may be assigned to him within the bounds of the reservation, as he may choose, and no Indian will be required to abandon the improvements aforesaid, now occupied by him, until said payment of improvement shall, be, shall have been made." And it is further provided that if any Indian living on any of the land hereby relinquished should prefer to sell his improvements to any white man, being a loyal citizen of the United States, prior to the same being valued as aforesaid, he shall be allowed so to do. But the sale of transfer of said improvements shall be made in the presence of and with the consent and, and with the consent and approval of the agent or superintendent by whom a certificate of sale shall be issued to the party purchasing, which shall set forth the amount of the consideration in kind. Before the issue of said certificate, the agent or superintendent shall be satisfied that a valuable consideration is paid and that the party purchasing is of undoubted loyalty to the United States government. 
no settlement or claim made upon the improved lands of any Indian will be permitted, except as herein provided prior to the time specified for their approval. Excuse me, specified for their removal. Any sale or any sale or transfer thus made shall be in the head. Any seller transfer thus made shall be in the stead of payment for improvements from the United States. Oh my goodness, Article Two. Whew. Okay. Article 2, the United States agreed to reserve for a home and for the sole use and occupation of said tribe the tract of land included within the following boundaries. Okay, so the U.S. is agreeing that the Nimipu can have for their sole use and occupation um, this bit of land, and then they go on, and then it goes on to describe the boundaries of the land um, by using geographical markers so after establishing the boundaries of this new reservation, it continues to say, all of which tract shall be set apart and the above described boundaries shall be surveyed and marked out for the exclusive use and benefit of said tribe as an Indian reservation. Um, and so it's, it's changing what was said in the Nez Perce Treaty of 1855. So going back to my notes that I wrote prior to this, um, the Treaty of 1855 reduced what was about 14 million, 14 million acres or about 13.5 million acres of Nez Perce land down to about 7.5 million acres of land. Uh, and within that treaty um, was guaranteed the right to hunt and fish and gather in usual and accustomed places, um, even though much of the land territory uh was lost. Okay, so then moving from the Treaty of 1855 to the Treaty of 1863, which we're reading now, 90% um, of that 7.5 million acres was lost as only 750,000 acres are included in the tract of land that was described at the top of Article 2 here in the Treaty of 1863. Um, and so that 90% results in greater than 5 million acres, an additional 5 million acres of land being lost. So going from the figure of 13.5 million acres and or 14 million acres of land down to 750,000 acres, uh, it's absolutely mind-blowing. Uh, and this happened in the course, oh, geez, 1855 to 1863, yeah, within a decade, um, basically. Okay, uh, so that's those are the those are the numbers behind what's happening right here. So, this this new tract of land that's set apart that is described at the top of uh, Article Two. It, it, it'll be surveyed out. It'll be marked out for the exclusive use and benefit of the Nimipu as an Indian reservation. Nor shall any white man, so no white person, uh, excepting those in the employment of the Indian department, be permitted to reside upon the said reservation without permission of the tribe and the superintendent and the agent. Okay, so 
this new reservation will be established and this new reservation will be established for the exclusive use of the Nez Perce people. No white person will live upon it. The only white person that will be able to live upon it is the, uh, or will be in the employment of the Indian department. So we're putting in, so, you know, we're keeping the Indian department in there. Again, this isn't necessarily, yes, it's your exclusive use that you don't get to do what you want. Um, we're installing an Indian department and putting somebody in the, in the employment there. And that person can also permit others to reside upon the reservation. And the said tribe agrees that so soon after the United States shall make the necessary provision for fulfilling the stipulations of this instrument, make the nest. <clears throat> and the said tribe agrees that so soon after the United States shall make the necessary provision for fulfilling the stipulations of this instrument as they can conveniently arrange their affairs and not to exceed one year from its ratification, they will vacate the country hereby relinquished and remove to and settle upon the lands herein reserved for them, except as may be hereinafter provided. So once this goes through, basically the, the, new, the, the Nez Perce people are agreeing that um, once the U.S. can make all this stuff happen, um, and once the U.S. can arrange all the affairs, and this will not exceed one year from the ratification of this treaty, that the Nespers people will then agree to vacate the country that is hereby relinquished, and that's the country that is described at the top of Article 2. And the Nespers people will also agree to remove and settle upon... Uh, lands reserved for them. So onto this smaller tract of land, again, down to 750,000 acres, uh, the Nespers people are agreeing to go to that place um, a year after the ratification of this, or not to exceed one year from the ratification of this treaty. So um, you have a deadline to get there. Um, and also there's, you know, to so they're agreeing to go to this to go and to settle to this land except as may be here and after provided so there's going to be some caveats in here still some loopholes built in in the meantime it shall be lawful for them to res to reside upon any ground now occupied or under cultivation by said indians at this time and not included in the reservation above named so um while we're waiting for this treaty to be ratified and for that year because once it gets ratified then it, you have the year um countdown to get onto this smaller tract of land this new drawn out reservation so until this gets ratified you can stay where you are um and uh, and do what you're and do what you're doing even if it's outside of the bounds of the area that was talked about before and it is provided that any substantial improvement heretofore made by any Indian, such as fields enclosed and cultivated or houses erected upon the lands hereby relinquished and which he may be compelled to abandon in consequence of this treaty, shall be valued under the direction of the President of the United States and payment therefore shall be made in stock or in improvements of an equal value for said Indian upon the lot which may be assigned to him 
within the bounds of the reservation as he may choose, and no Indian will be required to abandon the improvements aforesaid now occupied by him until said payment or improvement shall have been made. Oh my gosh, single sentence. Okay. So in the meantime, it's okay if you live there. And uh, if uh, any Indian has uh, substantial improvements, and so any substantial improvements in include a, a field that is enclosed and cultivated or a house that's put up on lands. Um, and especially, so if they have fields cultivated and enclosed fields on a part of the land that is now being given up due to this treaty. Um, so yeah, if they're, if they're compelled to abandon their house or their fields in their lands, um, that are now being taken away in this treaty, um, the that property will be valued under the direction of the President of the United States. So the President will say what it's worth, and then payment for that shall be made either in stock or in improvements of an equal value for said Indian upon a lot which may be assigned to him. So, um, so we'll give you something of equal value on the smaller reservation and we will assign that to you um, within the bounds of the new reservation. So it's not saying that it's going to be um, <laughs> the same <laughs> by any means. Uh, it's just, uh, oh, geez, can't read this stuff, it's so hard. Okay, uh, you may choose improvements equal value. Uh, Assigned within the bounds of the reservation, as he may so choose, as he may choose, and no Indian will be required to abandon the improvements aforesaid now occupied by him until said payment or improvement shall have been made. Um, so yeah, so even though we are moving you all to a new reservation, um, and you're cool to stay here while we wait to ratify the treaty, um, just remember once that treaty is ratified, you have one year to get on this new reservation and say, yeah, maybe you do have a house and an enclosed field that you've cultivated. Um, and so we'll either pay you for that, and you know the president will say how much that's worth. He'll deem that whenever he chooses. Or we'll pick um, a place for you on the reservation and uh, call it your equal value of what you got um, or what you had prior to, to being relocated to this new tract of land. Um, this is what I'm getting from this. And yeah, and, and you won't have, and you will not be required to abandon, abandon your house or your improvements that are currently outside of this new reservation, um, until the payment or the improvements were made, you know, so like you don't have to leave until we have the stuff provided for you, basically. Um, it is further provided that if any Indian living on any of the land hereby relinquished should prefer to sell his improvements to any white man being a loyal citizen of the United States. So again, um, showing that the white man is a loyal citizen of the United States and creating separateness from the Indian, continuing on, prior to the same being valued as aforesaid, he shall be allowed to do so. So, um, if any Indian that's living on the land that's about to be taken away um, wants to sell 
So if you just want to get your money yourself and you want to just go and sell to a white man because white men are loyal citizens of the United States um, and they're just doing the work of the United States, they're the lay people who are doing, you know, the state's work, um, you can just do that on your own. You can go and get your money by giving your land to them anyways. Um, you're allowed to do so. But the sale or transfer of said improvement shall be made in the presence of and with the consent and approval of the agent or superintendent. So even if you do choose to say, hey, you know what, I'm not going to wait around for the government to give me my money or to tell me where to go on the reservation. I'm just going to go myself. Let me get my coin myself. So I'm just going to sell my land um, to this rancher, to this settler. Uh you can't even do that on your own. Uh, it, it, that has to be done in the presence and not only in the presence of the agent or superintendent, also with the consent and the consent and approval of the agent and superintendent. Um, and they will issue a certificate of sale uh, to the to the purchasing party, to the person that you're selling to. Um, continuing on, which shall set forth the amount of the consideration in kind. Um, so I'm not exactly sure what that means um, fully. So I'm like, in kind on which side? I guess is that the, I don't know. Before the issue of said certificate, the agent or superintendent shall be satisfied that a valuable consideration is paid and that the party purchasing is of undoubted loyalty to the United States government. Oh, so you can't just sell to anyone. Say it's uh, somebody like uh, of any other country, any other type of trader or anything. You can't sell to them. It has to be a a white U.S. citizen. No settlement or claim made upon the improved lands of any Indian will be permitted, except as uh, except as herein provided, prior to the time of specified for their removal. One more again, no settlement or claim made upon the improved lands of any Indians will be permitted. Oh, so you can't just go and take. Um, so if somebody does have fields that are enclosed and cultivated and they have a house erected um, on the area of land that is now being taken away, no settlement or claim can be um, made upon that or of lands of any will of will be permitted except as him prior to the time specified for their removal. So unless yeah, it comes to like the time that's specific to relocating them from their home. Um, why am I saying relocating? Removing them. It says removal right there. Any sailor transfer thus made shall be in the stead of payment for improvements from the United States. So it's making it the government's work basically um, to sell to any white person. Um, so if you want to do that a little bit earlier on your own, or if you want to wait around and do it, when the government says, I guess. Ugh. Ha <laughs>
Article three. Oh, girl, she's a long one too. All right, the other ones get pretty small. Okay, Article three. The president shall, immediately after the ratification of this treaty, cause the boundary lines to be surveyed and properly marked and established, after which so much of the lands hereby reserved as may be as suitable for cultivation shall be surveyed into lots of 20 acres each, and every male person of the tribe who shall have attained the age of 21 years or is the head of a family shall have the privilege of locating upon one lot as a permanent home for such person, and the land so surveyed shall be allotted under such rules and regulations as the president shall prescribe, having such reference to their settlement as may secure adjoining each other the location of the different families pertaining to each band, so far as the same may be uh, practicable. Such rules and regulations shall be prescribed by the president or under his direction as will ensure to the family in case of the death of the head thereof the possession and, enjoy- the possession and enjoyment of such permanent home and the improvements thereon. When the assignments as above shall have been completed, certificates shall be issued by the Commissioner of Indian Affairs or under his direction for the tracts assigned in severalty specifying the names of the individuals to whom they have been assigned respectively, and that said tracts are set apart for the perpetual and exclusive use and benefit of such assignees and their heirs. Until otherwise provided by law, such tracts shall be exempt from levy, taxation, or sale, and shall be be alienable in fee, or leased or otherwise disposed of only to the United States or to persons then being members of the Nez Perce tribe and of, in, and of Indian blood with the permission of the Nez Perce tribe. Ooh, excuse me. Hmm. Until otherwise provided by law, such tract shall be exempt from levy, taxation, or sale and shall be alienable in fee or leased or otherwise disposed of only to the United States or to persons then being members of the Nez Perce tribe and of Indian blood, with the permission of the President and under such regulations as the Secretary of the Interior or the Commissioner of Indian Affairs shall prescribe. And if any such person or family shall at any time neglect or refuse to occupy until a portion of the land so assigned and on which they have located, or shall rove from place to place, the president may cancel the assignment and may also withhold from such person or family their proportion of the annuities or other payments due them until they shall have returned to such permanent home and resume the pursuits of industry. And in default of their return, the tract may be declared abandoned and thereafter assigned to some other person of or family of such tribe. The residue of the land hereby reserved shall be held in common for pasturage for the sole use and benefit of the Indians, provided, however, that from time to time, as members of the tribe may come upon the reservation or may become of proper age after the, expir- after the expiration of the time of one year after the ratification of this treaty, as aforesaid and claim the privileges granted under this article, lots may be assigned from the lands thus held in common, wherever the same may be suitable for cultivation. No state or territorial legislator shall remove the restriction herein provided for without the consent of Congress, 
and no state or territorial law to that end shall be deemed valid until the same has been specially submitted to Congress for its, for its approval. Article 3. The president, shall, the president shall immediately after the ratification of this treaty cause the boundary lines to be surveyed and properly marked and established. So once this treaty is ratified, the president will immediately uh, get the boundary lines uh, looked at and properly marked and set. After which, and the boundary lines that they're talking about are the boundary lines that were described at the beginning of the article at the beginning of Article 2 here in the Nespers Treaty of 1863. After which so much of the lands hereby reserved as may be suitable for cultivation shall be surveyed into lots of 20 acres each. So after, so after, they, so after the president, after this gets ratified and the president gets the boundary lines all surveyed out and properly marked and established, um, so much of the lands that are reserved may be so the the the, the lands that are suitable for cultivation um, will also be surveyed and put into lots of twenty acres each, and every male person of the tribe uh, who any, any male person who's twenty one years or is the head of a family will have the um, will locate upon one of the lots as a permanent home uh, for them or for their family. So it's a tw uh, after the boundary sets or after the boundary lines are made, um, they're going to divide it up into 20 acre lots um, in the places that are suitable for cultivation and um, give that to every male person who's over 21 or the head of a family and they will then use that 20 acre lot as a permanent home and the land so surveyed shall be allotted under such rules and regulations as the president shall prescribe having such reference to their settlement as may secure adjoining each other the location of the different families pertaining to each band so far as the same may be practicable So I guess, you know, they'll try to let you all live together. You know, uh, the president will say how the allotments will work and he'll establish the rules and regulations that these 20 acre allotments will work. Um, and they're going, you know, it may secure adjoining each other. Uh, so the different families and the different bands um, as much as they can. So as so far as the same may be practicable, so as much as they can. Such rules and regulations shall be prescribed by the president. So the president will have uh, rule over this, and it's uh, under his discretion, so whatever he says, and will ensure to the family that in case anyone dies, the possession and enjoyment of the, that permanent home that they uh, were given um, and all its improvements go to the family. So, um, you know, there's a little air in there. Uh, air clause, I guess you get to. Ugh, oh, inherit there. There's the word. Uh, uh, so in the so once the lot assignments are made, uh, certificates will be issued by the commissioner of Indian affairs. 
um, and under that the under his direction, so under the direction of the Commissioner of Indian Affairs, the tracks assigned in severalty, where there's that word again, severalty, um, which severalty means uh, distinctness, separateness. Um, so it's basically uh, divide and conquer, you know, dividing us up and making us separate, uh, specifying the names of the individuals to whom they have been assigned respectively, and that said tracts are set apart for the perpetual and exclusive use and benefit of such assignees for their heirs. Okay, so um, Article 2 started off by telling us where the boundaries of this new reservation are, and then it, now Article 3 is referring to those boundary lines in, in that area. So they're saying they're going to break up um, the land in that area into lots of 20 acres each, and they're going to assign it to the male who's at least 21 or the head of a household. Um, and they're going to try to put people together in adjoining places. And um, as a part of that, as a part of getting your land, um, you have to follow the rules and regulations that the president of the United States will always be under or in control of. Um, and you know, as, as a, a sense for you to have a sense of insurance um, so that you know that you will, your heirs will be able to inherit what you leave behind. Um, we will make sure that um, we put all of your names onto separate tracts of lands and that we assign specific names and individuals to exactly what that tract of land is so that everyone is set apart so that you know that this is exclusively yours and only yours. Um, that way your heirs can always look and say that, you know, it's registered. So basically it's, you know, it's installing this entirely different system, this entirely different way of living. There's no option um, of having exclusive use of the land. They're being told this is the area where we don't want you to be away from you know we want you we want to confine you to this area and in this area this is the way that you're going to live so although we're saying it's exclusively for you we're also telling you ex exclusively how you will use that <laughs> or how you will exclusively live um which isn't funny so <sighs> All right, continuing on. Until otherwise provided by law, such tracts will be exempt from levy, taxation, or sale. So yeah, the you know this 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 is native land, and it, it's exempt from taxation or sale, um, and shall be alienable in fee. So yeah, uh, so I guess alien to fee or leasing or otherwise disposed of only to the United States or to persons then being members of the Nespers tribe and of Indian blood with the permission of the president. So it can only go to the U.S. or to other members of the tribe, yet even in that case, um, it has to have the permission of the president and it has to follow the rules and regulations of the Secretary of the Interior or the Commissioner of Indian Affairs. So um, three different white representatives. Uh, and if any such person or family shall at any time neglect or refuse to occupy 
until a portion of the land so assigned and on which they have located or shall row for. Okay, so if any person, so say this whole this whole tract of land that you were assigned, this 20 acres on the new reservation um, that you have to register for in order to get, if you or your family at any time um, neglect or refuse to be on that tract of land and not only to to be on the tract of land, also to till a portion of the land so assigned. So um, you have to remain on this piece of land and you have to work it the way that we tell you to work it um, because you were assigned to do so. Um, and on which you and you chose to do that because you've now lit, located yourself here. Um, so if you if you neglect to do the work that we tell you, or you neglect to occupy the place that we tell you, or if you move from place to place, the president may cancel the assignment and may also withhold from such person or family their proportion of the annuities or other payments due them until they have until they shall have returned to such permanent home. So if you're not there and if you're not taking care of it the way that they say, or if you're just moving about all leisurely like you just want to, um, then the president can cancel the place that you've been assigned to uh, and they can withhold from you or from the family any of the money that that brings you um, or any of the money that uh, will be later discussed here in this treaty, I'm assuming. Um, so yeah, or any other payments that are due until you get back to that tract of land, until you get back to that permanent home, and you resume the pursuits of industry. So you have to get yourself back to that piece of land and get to work for the United States. Otherwise, we will take this away from you and your family will not inherit even though this is a tract of land on a quote-unquote reservation made exclusively for your use. <sighs> Continuing on, and in default of their return, the tract may be declared abandoned. So yeah, so if you don't come back, you know, we can, we can say this is abandoned and there assign this to either somebody else in the tribe um, and the residue of the land... Um, okay, the residue of the land hereby reserved shall be held in common for pasturage for the sole use and benefit of the Indians. So um, the rest of the, the unclaimed 20-acre uh, blocks or lots, um, anything that's outside of that yet still within the boundaries that were set forth at the top of Article 2, um, that can be used for um, pasturing and, yeah, for the sole use and benefit of the Indians for pasturing. Um, provided, however, that from time to time, as members of the tribe may come upon the reservation or may become a proper age after the expiration time of one year. Okay, so um, while, there, while there may be open land at this time you can use that to pasture your stock. However, as more people come of age, and remember the age is 21, or 
yeah, as more people come of age, and this is one year after the ratification of this treaty, um, more lots may be assigned. So you know, while there's while there's free space, it can it can definitely be used for pasturage. Yet, as more lots get assigned, as more people come in um, to this smaller space. Um, yeah, it, they'll be assigned the lands that's held in common wherever the same may be suitable for cultivation. Um, so yeah, so you can use that land for now. However, know that more people are probably coming. We'll, we'll be establishing more lots. So if somebody does come in and we establish a lot here, then you know, you're going to have to figure it out. No state or territorial legislator shall remove the restriction herein provided for without the consent of Condre. So no state or territorial legislator can remove these restrictions uh, without the consent of Congress, and no state or territorial law to that end shall be deemed valid until the same has been specially submitted to Congress for its approval. So yeah, um, basically everything that's talked about above, um, even if the state says anything about it, they have no power here. It has to go through Congress. Um, okay. Article 4. This is where we're getting into the money, I believe. So let me write down 1863. Yep, Article 4. So it was Article 4 in the Treaty of 1855 that discussed money as well. So yeah, Article 4, in consideration of the relinquishment herein made the United States agree to pay to the said tribe in addition to the annuities provided by the Treaty of June 11, 1855, and the goods and provisions distributed to them at the time of signing this treaty, the sum of $262,500 in manner following to wit. So the sum of 262000 so. 262.5 K so uh, in the treaty of 1855 it was 200,000 for the treaty of 1863 it's saying 262,500 dollars yeah okay So the state is agreeing. So the U.S. is going to pay the Nez Perce people in addition to the $200,000 that are provided in the 1855 agreement. So again, remember that was $20,000 over the course of 20 plus years. Um, and this treaty of 1863 is happening eight years after that. So it's not even, you know, they haven't even processed through the first part of it so in addition to what was promised out there the new sum that will be included with this treaty is two hundred and sixty two thousand dollars and five sixty the the sum that's included in this new treaty is two hundred and sixty two thousand five hundred dollars and it's broken down as such it says first one hundred and fifty thousand dollars 150k 
First, $150,000 to enable the Indians to remove and locate upon the reservation to be expended in the plowing of land and the fencing of the several lots which may be assigned to those individual members of the tribe who will accept the same in accordance with the provisions of the preceding article, which said sum shall be divided into four annual installments as follows. Okay. For the first year after the ratification this, of this treaty, $70,000. For the second year, $40,000. For the third year, $25,000. And for the fourth year, Okay, so $150,000 to enable the Indians to remove and locate upon the reservation. So we'll pay you guys $150,000 uh, just to come and be on the reservation. Uh, and this, we're going to pay you $150,000 to come and be on this reservation. And that money will be spent on plowing the land and fencing the several lots. So um, we're going to pay you $150,000 and you, you're going to use that money to plow the land, as well as to establish these 20-acre plots that we're going to force you all to make and we're going to assign to you. And um, in that, you will have to plow that land and not vacate that space. And if you do, then we can take that away from you um, and it goes back to the, to the United States and you'll be left with nothing for you and or any of your heirs. Just so we're clear. which may be assigned to those individual members of the tribe. Yeah, so any of you who, who accept to do this um, will be a part of this system. And the sum will be divided into, and so, and that money will be distributed over four years. In the first year, in the first year it'll be $70,000, the second year $40,000, third year $25,000, and the fourth year uh, $15,000. Second, $50,000 to be paid the first year after the ratification of this treaty in agricultural, in agricultural implements to include wagons or carts, harness and cattle, sheep or other stock as may be deemed most beneficial by the superintendent of Indian affairs or agent after ascertaining the wishes of the Indians in relation thereto. Okay, so $50,000 to be paid the first year after the ratification of this treaty. So one year after this, um, so say if it were ratified the next week in 1863, then it would take place th uh, that following year in 1864, uh, which wasn't the case here. Uh, $50,000 to be paid. And here's what that $50,000 is budgeted for. It's uh, meant to include wagons or carts, harness or cattle, sheep and other stock. Um, and this is all stuff, whatever's, whatever the superintendent of Indian affairs or the agent deems the most beneficial is what it's going to be. Of course, this will happen after talking um, and seeing what the Indians want. Um, that doesn't mean that he has to do anything 
that they want. He just has to do this after talking and seeing what the Indians' wishes are um, because it is the superintendent of Indian Affairs and or the agent um, that gets to say what is most beneficial um, and how that money is spent on agricultural implements. So that's the $50,000. So again, um, giving the tribe, paying them, yeah, also not just it's this is how you're going to use this money. Um, third, $10,000 for the erection of a saw and flowering mill to be located at Kamii, the same to be erected within one year after the ratification thereof. So $10,000 to put up a sawmill and a flowering mill. And it has to be at this place, Kamii, and it has to be done within one year of the ratification of this treaty. So uh, putting a timeline on that. Fourth, $50,000 for the boarding and clothing of the children who shall attend the schools. Uh, so your kids will have to, 50000 we're giving you $50,000 and this will go to putting up kids as well as clothing them um, in schools that they were forcing them to attend. And this will happen in accordance with such rules or regulations as the Commissioner of Indian Affairs may prescribe. Providing the schools and boarding houses with necessary furniture, the purchase of necessary wagons, teams, agricultural implements, tools, etc. for their use and for the fencing of such lands as may be needed for gardening and farming purposes for the use and benefit of the schools to be expended as follows. The first year after the ratification of this treaty, $6,000 for the next 14 years, $3,000 each year, and for the succeeding year, being the 16th and last installment, $2,000. All right, so this fourth part of Article 4, where they're breaking down the money, it says that $50,000 will be used uh, to create boarding schools, basically, for the boarding and the clothing of children to attend schools. And that the rules and regulations will be set by the Commissioner of Indian Affairs. And the schools will be boarding houses. And so they'll need necessary furniture. So the purchase of that furniture, as along with the purchase of wagons um, and teams of cattle and livestock, oxen, whatever else, for the wagons, uh, as well as many other agricultural implements and tools, etc. So whatever is needed there um, for the use and for the fencing of the lands that they're going to turn into schools and force kids to go into and clothe them and board them. Um, so this $50,000 will be used for the benefit of that whole system and for the schools. And this is exactly how you're going to spend that $50,000 for the schools in the first year. After the ratification of this treaty, $6,000. The first year after the ratification of this treaty, $6,000. For the next 14 years, $3,000. Okay, so uh, yeah, for. So $6,000 up front the year after the ratification of the treaty. Over the next 14 years, $3,000 each year. So that's what, $42,000 over the course of 14 years.
And for the succeeding year being the 16th, yeah, so 14 years and then 6,000 was the first year and then another 14 years at 3,000 apiece. Um, and so then, yeah, that's 15 installments. And then the 16th and last installment, $2,000. Uh, so I probably didn't math all the way right, but it's all right. 12. No, I did. 48, 2000. Yeah. That makes 50K. So this is 16 years worth. This is four years worth. So 16 years of um, financial support for the education basically oh my gosh it feels like a hate crime every time like it feels racially motivated I don't know why okay continuing on fifth a further sum of $2,500 shall be paid within one year after the ratification thereof to enable the Indians to build two churches, one of which is to be located at some suitable point on the Kamii and the other on the Lapway. Okay, so fifth, they're giving $2,500 uh, to be paid one year after the ratification of the treaty to build two churches, one in Kamii and one in Lapway. And that is Article 4. All right, that's Article 4. Article 5, the United States further agree that in addition to a head chief, girl... I scared myself. Article 5. The United States further agree that in addition to a head chief, the tribe shall elect two subordinate chiefs who shall assist him in the performance of his public services, and each subordinate chief shall have the same amount of land plowed and fenced with comfortable house and necessary furniture, and to whom the same salary shall be paid as is already provided for the head chief in Article 5 of the Treaty of June 11th, 1855. The salary to be paid and the houses and land to be occupied during the time period and under the restriction of therein mentioned, as therein mentioned. And for the purpose of enabling the agent to erect said buildings and to plow and fence the land, as well as to procure the necessary furniture and to complete and furnish the house, etc., the, of the head chief, as heretofore provided, there shall be appropriated to be expended within the first year after the ratification hereof the sum of $2,500. And inasmuch as several of the provisions of said Article 5 of the Treaty of June 11, 1855, pertaining to the erection of schoolhouses, hospital shops, necessary buildings for employees and for the agency, as well as providing the same with necessary furniture, tools, and etc., have not yet been complied with, and it is hereby stipulated that there shall be appropriated to be expended for the purposes herein specified during the first year after the ratification hereof the following sums to wit. 
first, $10,000 for the erection of two schools, including boarding houses and the necessary outbuildings. Such schools to be conducted on the manual labor system as far as practicable. Second, $1,200 for the erection of the hospital and to and providing the necessary, the necessary furniture for the same. Third, $2,000 for the erection of a blacksmith's shop to be located at Kamii to aid in the completion of the smith's shop at the agency and to purchase the necessary tools, iron, steel, etc., and to keep the same in repair and properly stocked with necessary tools and materials. There shall be appropriated thereafter for the 15 years next succeeding the sum of $500 each year. Fourth, $3,000 for erection of houses for employees, repairs of mills, shops, etc., and providing necessary furniture, tools, and materials for the same purpose and to procure from year to year the necessary articles, that is to say, saw logs, nails, glass, hardware, etc., there shall be appropriated thereafter for the 12 years next succeeding the sum of $2,000 each year and for the next three years $1,000 each year. And it is further agreed that the United States shall employ, in addition to those already mentioned in Article 5 of the Treaty of 1855, two matrons to take charge of the boarding schools, two assistant teachers, one farmer, one carpenter, and two millers. All the expenditures and expenses contemplated in this treaty and not otherwise provided for shall be defrayed by the United States. All right, Article 5. The United States further agree that in addition to a head chief... Okay, so they had this stipulation also in the Nespers Treaty of 1855 in the fifth article... Okay, yeah, so in the fifth article is when they talk about building, uh, making uh, necessary buildings, so blacksmith shops, gun shops, carpentry shops, wagons, uh, farming, blacksmith, tinner, gunsmith, carpenter, wagon, plowmaker, physician, hospital, medicines, school, uh, industrial school, agricultural school, teachers, superintendents of teaching. So all of these things are outlined in Article 5, the other part of it being that um, they are installing one head chief of the tribe uh, to be the go-between for the Nez Perce people and the United States. So that's all what was uh, outlined in Article 5 of the Treaty of 1855, and it's being touched upon and expanded upon here in the Article 5 of the Treaty of 1863. And so the United States is further agreeing that in addition to that head chief that they talked about before, the tribe shall also have two subordinate chiefs um, who will uh, assist that head chief um, in the different things that he has to do, uh, again, going between the Nez Perce people and the U.S. government. Uh, and so as part of being those subordinate chiefs, they will have the same amount of land plowed and fenced, um, they'll also be given a house and necessary furniture, and they will have the same salary, and the pay is already provided. Um, oh, and, and they'll have the same pay that was provided for the head chief. Um, that's outlined in the Treaty of 1855. 
and that was over the course of 20 years, the person would be getting $500,000, excuse me, $500 a year. Uh, so coming out to $10,000 after 20 years of service, yeah. Right? $10,000, yeah, $500 over the course of 20 years, yeah, $10,000, yeah, it's written right there. Cool, so um, these two subordinate chiefs will get that. So this is Article 5. That's the head chief, Article 5 here. So $500 over 10 years, so that's $10,000. And that's going for two people, so two subordinate, uh, two subordinate chiefs, uh, and then the same with the head chief as well. And uh, the salary to be paid in the house and land to be occupied during the same period and under the restrictions there mentioned. Okay. And so to help um, enact all the other stuff that was outlined in the Nespers Treaty of 1855 under Article 5, all those buildings. Um, so and able to put all that into motion and to also furn furnish every place. Um, this is the way that the money will be spent within the first year after the ratification, um, the sum of $2,500. Um, so yeah, so... Um, and, in order for these subordinate chiefs to do these things uh, and, and to get it done, they'll be given some of $2,500 within the first year after the ratification of this treaty. So the first one, um, it breaks down $10,000. $10,000 for the erection of two schools, including boarding houses and necessary outbuildings, uh, said schools to be conducted on the manual labor system as far as practicable. practicable. So $10,000 to make uh, boarding schools, boarding houses, and the different buildings, and it'll be done on manual labor. And that's to be, yeah, okay. Second, $1,200 for the erection of the hospital and providing the necessary furniture. $2,000 for the blacksmith shop to go in Kamii, um, along with everything else, that all the tools that are needed. Um, in order to stock it and have them write materials. And there shall be appropriated thereafter for the 15 years next succeeding the sum of $500 each year. So $2,000 up front. And then for the next 15 years, $500 each year.
fourth, $3,000 for the erection of houses for employees, um, as well as repair mills, shops, and providing furniture for these places. And for 12 years next, succeeding the sum of $2,000 each year. Uh, so $2,000... for 12 years and for the next three years $1,000 each year um, so then $1,000 for three years that's over the course of 15 years as well okay got it and it is further agreed that the United States shall employ, in addition to those already mentioned in Article 5 of the Treaty of 1855, two matrons to take charge of the boarding schools, two assistant teachers, one farmer, one carpenter, and two millers. So that's uh, two, four, six, eight. So um, they're putting in eight employees to take care of these places. Uh, and all the expenditures and expenses contemplated in this treaty and not otherwise provided for shall be defrayed by the United States. So if, if there's more, if anything else has to be covered and any other money has to get put in to have, have these systems put into place, then the, the U.S. will take care of it. Is what I'm getting. Article 6. In consideration of the past services and faithfulness of the Indian chief Timothy, it is agreed that the United States shall appropriate the sum of $600 to aid him in the erection of a house upon the lot of land which may be assigned to him, in accordance with the provisions of the third article of this treaty. So, in accordance with the third article... Which Article 3 talked about, oh, okay, so Article 3 is where we talked about um, the boundary lines and that people would be given 20-acre lots uh, within the boundary lines, and they had to stay on that place, and if they stepped off, then they could lose it, and okay. So, in consideration of the past services of faithfulness, that this man, Timothy, has given to the United States, the U.S. will give him $600 uh, to put up a house on uh, the lot of land that they assigned to him. Um, and, you know, they, they already talked about how they were going to assign lots in Article 3. Article 7, the United States further agree that the claims of certain members of the Nez Perce tribe against the government for services rendered and for horses furnished by them to the Oregon Mounted Volunteers, as appears by certificates issued by W.H. Fauntleroy, A.W.Q.R., M., and Com Oregon Volunteers, on the 6th of March, 1856, at Camp Cornelius, and amounting to the sum of $4,665 shall be paid to them in full in gold coin. 
So Article 7 is just adding in that some Nez Perce people um, have claims that were documented uh, for giving horses uh, to the Oregon Mounted Volunteers. And so, and this was used um, for the March 6, 1856 Camp Cornelius, whatever happened there. Um, and so that sum that the Nest Purse sold um, comes out to $4,665. And that'll be paid in gold coin to those people. Article 8, it is also understood that the aforesaid tribe do hereby renew their acknowledgments of dependence upon the I'm just going to start that one over. Article 8. Article 8. It is also understood that the afore... Article 8. It is also understood that the aforesaid tribe do hereby renew their acknowledgments of dependence upon the government of the United States, their promises of friendship, and other pledges as set forth in the 8th article of the Treaty of June 11, 1855. And further, that all the provisions of said treaty which are not abrogated or specifically changed by any article herein contained shall remain the same to all intents and purposes as formerly. The same obligations resting upon the United States, the same privileges continued to the Indians outside of the reservation, and the same rights secured to citizens of the U.S. as to right of way upon the streams and over the roads which may run through said reservation are as are therein set forth. But it is further provided that the United States is the only competent authority to declare and establish such necessary roads and highways, and that no other right is intended to be hereby granted the citizens of the United States than the right of way upon or over such roads as may thus be legally established, provided, however, that the roads now usually traveled shall in the, shall in the meantime be re provided, however, that the roads now usually traveled shall in the meantime be taken and deemed as within the meaning of this article until otherwise enacted by, and by act of Congress or by the authority of the Indian Department. And the said tribe hereby consent that upon the public roads which may run across the reservation there may be established at such points as shall be necessary for public convenience, hotels or stage stands, of the number and necessity of which the agent or superintendent shall be the sole judge who shall be competent to license the same. With the privilege of using such amount of land for pasturage and other purposes connected with such establishment as the agent or superintendent shall deem necessary, it being understood that such lands for pasturage are to be enclosed and the boundaries thereof described in the license. And it is further understood and agreed that all ferries and bridges within the reservation shall be held and managed for the benefit of said tribe. Such rules and regulations shall be made by the Commissioner of Indian Affairs with the approval of the Secretary of the Interior as shall, reg as shall, regulate, as shall regulate the travel on the highways, the management of the ferries and bridges, the licensing of public houses, and the leasing of lands, as herein provided, so that the rents, profits, and issues thereof shall ensure to the benefit of said tribe, 
and so that the persons thus licensed or necessarily employed in any of the above relations shall be subject to the control of the Indian Department and to the provisions of the Act of Congress, quote, to regulate trade and intercourse with the Indian tribes and to preserve peace on the frontiers, end quote. All timber within the bounds of the reservation is exclusively the property of the tribe, excepting that the U.S. government shall be permitted to use thereof for any purpose connected with its affairs, either in carrying out any of the provisions of this treaty or in the maintaining of, the, of its necessary forts or garrisons. The United States also agree to reserve all springs or fountains not adjacent to or directly connected with the streams or rivers within the lands hereby relinquished, and to keep back from settlement or entry so much of the surrounding land as may be necessary to prevent the said springs or fountains being enclosed, and further to preserve a perpetual right of way to and from the same as watering places for the common use, excuse me, for the use in common of, and further to preserve a perpetual right of and further to preserve a perpetual right of way to and from the same as watering places for the use in common of both whites and Indians. Okay, run it back, run it back. So Article 8, it is also understood... Okay, so Article 8 is talking about, it's referring back to Article 8 of 1855. So if I look at Article 8 of 1855, the aforesaid tribe acknowledged their dependence upon the government of the United States and promised to be friendly with all citizens thereof. So that was the article that was saying, yes, um, uh, the Nespers people are agreeing to be uh, dependent upon the U.S. government. And they are also promising to be friendly and pledging themselves to commit no attacks or plundering of U.S. citizens. And when they say U.S. citizens, they mean um, white people and or white settlers who are um, moving into those lands. And if um, anyone steps out of line and does act out against a white settler or a, and by extension, the, the United States government, because they're, um, you know, the white people are the... What are they called? Anyways. Oh, loyal citizen of the United States. That's it. All right, so that's Article 8, uh, just going back. So here in Article 8 of the Treaty of 1863, it's, um, yeah, they're renewing that acknowledgement, the dependence upon the U.S. government and the promise of friendship, along with all the other pledges, uh, so not harming. And, you know, if you do harm, then we'll take the money out of, uh, we'll, we'll back pay the people that you have harmed with the money that uh, was meant to come to you through the annuities that were sent or that were set to be paid over the course of several years. So continuing on, um, 
so yeah, they're saying that the same obligations will rest upon the U.S. Um, and the same privileges will be continued by the Indians outside of the reservation. Um, and the same rights are secured to citizens of, of the U.S. So again, writing in there that, you know, uh, Indians are separate from citizens of the U.S. Um, as to right of way upon stream. So yeah, and so it's the citizens of the U.S., a.k.a. the white settlers who have the right of way upon the streams and over the roads which may run through said reservation and are there and set forth. Um, it's also provided that uh, that the U.S. is the only person who can say and can declare um, if roads are necessary and if highways are necessary. And because they're the only person who can say if it's a thing, they're also the only person who can establish it and that no, no one else has uh, any other right. So yeah, only the U.S. can say uh, what roads and highways can really go through there. Um, and that right isn't given to the, to the citizens of the United States, so to the white settlers. However, they do have the right of way upon those roads, um, and, they, and then they'll be legally established. Um, and in the meantime, even though these roads aren't a thing yet, whatever roads that you are usually traveling and using at this time uh, to get around, those roads... Uh, the road not usually traveled. So yeah, they'll have right to the roads that are, that are being used in the meantime. So even though uh, new roads and highways haven't been... So the U.S. government can come through. They're the only ones who can say what roads and highways can come through here. That's not the right of any of the U.S. citizens or the white people living there. However, um, the streams and roadways that are in use now... Uh, as U.S. citizens, these white settlers still have the right of way. Uh, and the Nez Perce people living on their own place, on their own land, have to defer to these people that are not even meant to be on their tract of land that is meant to be used for their exclusive use. <sighs> Which, again, that's a faulty premise. Um, and... And then the tribe is also agreeing that as these roads, as these public roads, so now they're becoming public roads. So um, they're establishing, in the top of Article 2, they're establishing the boundaries of the, of the reservation. And they go on to talk about how they're going to assign people to their lots of lands within the reservation. Um, and always starting or always mentioning that this is meant for the exclusive use of the Nespers Indians. However, um, the majority of the language is talking about establishing um, uh, these systems for U.S. citizens, a.k.a. for their white settler people, um, even down to or even back to the root of it with Isaac Stevens uh, opening up for the railway, the transcontinental the transcontinental railway from Minnesota to the coast. Uh, so this is all self-serving language. Um, and, you know, the self that it's serving is, is whiteness and uh, white settlers and 
by extension, the U.S. Okay. And so, yeah, so the tribe is, so now, yeah, the, the U.S. government are the people who can say what roads can go through there. And then the, the white settlers, um, a.k.a. people who are deemed citizens and are not Indian, are given right of way on these roadways. And the tribe has to agree also that as these roadways con are constructed and expand, that um, they're on the reservation even, that they have to expand along with them. So uh, adding necessary places for public convenience, um, like hotels and stagecoach stands. Um, and this is all, and the sole judge of how many of these stands and places is all up to the superintendent or the agent. Uh, and he's also the one who will be able to license um, And yeah, and if they need to pasture any animals or anything like that, then they can secure a, a tract of land to pasture animals um, to help with this service. So if it's hotels, stage stands, um, whatever it is for public convenience, they can use whatever land they want um, there to help with that. Uh, and that's further extended out for ferries and bridges within the reservation. So again, this is all helping for um, white public transportation and pathways through. Um, so again, the thing that's standing out more than anything is that um, it's, a, it's a smoke screen. It's an illusion of this is meant for you. We're putting up these borders only for you. Um, yet it's not. It's, it's more like um, putting a shock collar on an animal so it's setting up a boundary where it's like hey you have to be in here and while you're in here um, i'm going to place you into this kennel i'm going to make you do this thing um yeah and so on <sighs> okay such rules and regulations So yeah, the Secretary of the Interior and the Commissioner of Indian Affairs will be the ones to regulate all the ferries and bridges of the lands. Um, and anyone who's in charge of that area um, will be in control of the Indian Department. Uh, and this is meant to, quote, regulate trade and intercourse with the Indian tribes and to preserve peace on the frontiers, end quote. So basically they're saying we're going to come in, we're going to establish these systems um, and these pathways for people to travel all up and through here. And then we're also going to put up shops and areas, hotels people for people to lodge and do business and for their public convenience. And we're going to use more of the land that we set aside for you um, we're actually going to use some of that land to support some of these businesses for other people that will be coming through. And um, and we get to say how much of that we make, how many of these places, and where we place them. And also we get to say, um, and, and, and it's held under this guise of uh, this is meant to regulate trade between Indian tribes and to preserve peace, um, which it's, it's not. Uh, okay. 
Continuing on, all timber within the bounds of the reservation is exclusively the property of the tribe. So all the wood in there, all the from the forest, excepting that the U.S. government shall be permitted to use thereof any purpose connected with its affairs carrying. So, yeah, um, all the wood inside this treaty line is all yours, except for anything that the U.S. government deems that they need in order to maintain forts or garrisons. And the U.S. government is also agreeing to kind of allow people allow the streams not to get blocked up. Um, yeah, and it's, it's establishing the right of way to waterways that are connected on and around the reservation, uh, either through a spring or a fountain. It's Article Eight. Article 9, inasmuch as the Indians in council have expressed their desire that Robert Newell ha should have confirmed to him a piece of land lying between Snake and Clearwater Rivers, the same having been given to him on the 9th day of June, 1861, and described in an instrument of writing bearing that date and signed by several chiefs of the tribe, it is hereby agreed that the said Robert Newell shall receive from the United States a patent for the said tract of land. So um, Article 9 is giving this man, Robert Newell, a piece of land right between Snake and Clearwater Rivers uh, in June 1968. Huh, I wonder... So that's, that's right, we're basically present-day um, Lewiston is, Lewiston, Idaho. Now, I wonder uh, what this tract of land was and what's on that tract now. And described in the instrument in writing, bearing that date, and signed by several chiefs of the tribe, it is hereby agreed that the said Robert Newell shall receive the... Okay. Article 10. The treaty shall be obligatory upon the contracting parties as soon as same... Okay, so then all of this stuff will go into effect as soon as the President and the Senate of the United States say so. Uh, so, and then closing out in, in testimony of these characters, uh, so C.H. Hale, who is the superintendent of Indian Affairs, Charles Hutchin, Hutchins and S.D. Howe, um, as well as United States Indian agents, in, or who are, those two are United States Indian agents in the territory of Washington. Um, and then the chiefs, headmen, and delegates of the aforesaid Nespers tribe of Indians. So all these people have come together here unto set their hands and seals at the place and on the day and year here and before written. So yeah, they're coming to the agreement at this time and place. Um, and that is the Nespers Treaty of 1863. <sighs> so continuing on after the signatures, uh, this continues go to say, and whereas the said treaty having been submitted to the Senate of the United States for its constitutional action thereon, the Senate did on the 7th day of April, 1867, recede from certain, recede from certain amendments which it had made to the said treaty on the 26th day of June, 1866, and did advise and consent to the ratification of the said treaty as originally concluded by a resolution and the words and figures following to wit. Uh, so,
So the Treaty of 1863 wasn't ratified until 1867, I believe. I think it was four years after. Okay, so the Treaty of 1863 was not ratified until the treaty or until 1867. Uh, and so this little addendum is saying that in April of 1867, uh, Senate. Uh, so in 1867, the Senate took away certain amendments that they had proposed on the Treaty of 1863. Uh, so in 18, in June of 1866, they proposed a few amendments uh, to the Treaty of 1863. Now remember, the Treaty, Treaty of 1863 wasn't ratified until four years later in 1867. So a year prior to that, in 1866, a few amendments were um put out there for the Treaty of 1863, and we come to find out in 1867 that the U.S. Senate um, receded from those amendments uh, and consented to ratifying the treaty as it was originally concluded back in 1863. Uh, and the resolution is included here. So it says April, or uh, in a, in executive session senate of the united states april 17 1867 resolved two-thirds of the senators present concurring that the senate recede from its amendments to the treaty between the united states and the nespers indians concluded at the council ground in the valley of the lapway june 9th 1863 which amendments were agreed to by the senate June 26, 1866, and that the Senate do advise and consent to the ratification of the said treaty as concluded June 9, 1863. Now, therefore, be it known that I, Andrew Johnson, President of the United States of America, do in pursuance of the advice and consent of the Senate, as expressed in its resolution of the 17th of April, 1867, accept, ratify, and confirm the said treaty. In testimony whereof, I have hereto signed my name and caused the seal of the United States to be affixed. Done at the city of Washington this 20th day of April in the year of our Lord, 1867, and of the independence of the United States of America, the 91st. Andrew Johnson. So, yeah, they, they proposed a few amendments and... They didn't go through with it. They ended up just sticking with the original outline of the 1863 treaty. And that's the addendum that was attached here. <sighs> so, running this one back, uh, the treaty with uh, the Nest Purse 1863, the main things. So, treaty between the United States and America um, and the Nest Purse tribe of Indians. Uh, so again, this is this one's under President Johnson, where the first one is under. What's that racist name again? 
Franklin Pierce. Okay. So the other racist, Andrew Johnson, president of the United States of America. Um, yeah, so it the introduction declares um, where people are coming from. Uh, and then they talk about these articles supplementing and amending the treaty that was made back in June of 1855. So Article 1 um, saying that, hey, the Nespers people are agreeing to relinquish their lands and get onto this new tract of land that's going to be described in Article 2. And they're giving up the land to the United States. Now in Article 2, it starts by laying out the new tract of land. Remember, this comes from um, the reduced tract of the, the reduced area of land that was 7.5 million acres. 90% uh, of that was taken away in this new treaty of 1863, leaving that last 10%. So a simple 750,000 acres of land um, in the Idaho area. Uh, and so as you continue on into Article 2, it talks about how this new reservation is going to be dealt with. They talk about how it's going to be put, there's uh, an Indian department that's going to be in there, um, and they will assign an employee to take head of that Indian department. Um, so although they say that this is exclusively for the benefit of the, of the Nest Purse on the Indian reservation, and that no white man shall be there, they're also at the exact same time guaranteeing employment for a white man to be on the reservation, while also um, the employment that um, is necessitating his presence is this new system, this Indian department that they're putting into place. So again, it's not the exclusive use um, for the Indian reservation. It's uh, still the use of the United States, and they're just telling the people who will be living in this area what to do. And so, yeah, Article 2 just goes on talking about how relocation will happen. Uh, it also makes another clear distinction about who is, about any white man being a loyal citizen of the United States, whereas uh, an Indian is not. Um, okay, and so then Article 3 uh, is moving into the so setting the boundary lines of this new proposed reservation of uh, 750,000 acres and saying that um, immediately after the ratification of this treaty that the boundary lines that were set forth at the top of article 2 will be surveyed so they'll they'll look them out and then they'll probably mark them and establish them um, yet the purpose of that is to make small tracts of 20 acres uh, in order to assign people permanent homes, that people have to be on that home, uh, and they will make an effort to put people together as far as they can. All the rules and regulations will be um, set up by the president and will be under the direction of um, the Commissioner of Indian Affairs. Um, and again, we that's where we encounter the word severalty, so it's a dividing, uh, it's distinction, separateness, um, so divide and conquer, um, so dividing people and assigning them onto their plots of land, 
and then it talks about how you will not be taxed uh, or you know have to worry about lease or anything because the U.S. has got your back there. However, in order to get the the land, um, there's proof of Indian blood and the permission of the president, um, and also permission of the commissioner of Indian affairs. Um, and then there's also the stipulation written in there that if the family or the head of, of that household um, neglect to occupy and to uh, till the land that they were assigned, they can lose it. Um, that also is the case if they rove from place to place. The president may cancel any protections that they have, and the protections would allow for them to pass on that land to any heirs and or descendants. Uh, and so they they have to remain on that place, uh, and if they if they don't, uh, it can be declared abandoned, and then that can be used either for someone else in the tribe, or that can also go to a white person, a white settler, and or a what they call a U.S. citizen. Article four. Uh, goes into the money so article 4 breaks down how they will pay out $262,500 uh, to the Nez Perce people to move or to follow the, the guidelines of this new treaty of 1863 moving on to the new boundaries set forth and this will happen in addition to the money that they're paying out the $200,000 for the Treaty of uh, 1855, and then it breaks it down into how the money is going to be spent. So they're saying, we're going to pay you this money in order to get onto this land. In, in, in order for this compromise that we're setting up, we're going to pay you this money. Uh, yet that money isn't anything that uh, the people were able to do with what, as they pleased, uh, you know, they were assigned what to do. So it tells you right in here, $150,000 for people to remove themselves from where they are and to locate themselves back or or to locate themselves on the reservation. And it's to be expended. So it's supposed to be, it's meant to be spent on plowing the land and fencing it into several lots. So, you know, you're going to get paid this money um, to go to this place. And then you have to follow the system that we're setting up and you have to use this money in order to establish that system. That's basically what it's breaking down. Um, so it's, it shows $150,000 being broken down over four years. The second one talks about $50,000 um, for uh, wagons, carts, and harnesses and for any other agricultural implements uh, that the superintendent of Indian Affairs or the agent may deem most beneficial to the area. The third article talks about $10,000 for the erection of a saw and flouring mill in Kamii. The fourth talks about $50,000 for a boarding school. Um, Again, this is all under the discretion of the Commissioner of Indian Affairs. and, you know, it talks about housing these places, furniture, um, and getting whatever is needed outside of that. So wagons, uh, teams for the wagons, agricultural implements, tools, um, 
and the $50,000 is broken up into $6,000 in the first year and then $3,000 over the course of 14 years and $2,000 in the end. So 16 years total to pay out that $50,000. And the fifth, talking about uh, $2,500, um, which is meant to build two churches, one which will be la uh, located in Kamiai and the other one located in Lapway. Um, so yeah, it, they've done the exact same thing in uh, offering up a a sum so $262,000 $262,500 and then telling um, the Nest Purse people this is exactly how you will spend that money um, so they've already laid out a plan of how that money will be spent yeah <laughs> that's all that needs to be said okay article 5 okay article 5 is uh, talking about um the liaison, the, the go-between again. So in Article 5 of uh, the Treaty of 1855, uh, they appointed, they were talking about appointing one head man uh, to be the conduit, to be the go-between. And so now they're also throwing in two subordinate chiefs, and then they're going to give the subordinate chiefs a tract of land with fencing and tilled uh, and plowed land, as well as a comfortable house and a salary similar to the headman so that was five hundred dollars over the course of 20 years uh, so that's ten thousand dollars for each person um, in addition to that they're also adding the sum of two thousand five hundred dollars uh to to these people to get uh, everything that they need to get set up um on their land and to erect the buildings uh yeah And so the fifth article of 1855, the fifth article of the Treaty of 1855 also, so beyond talking about uh, setting up a head chief of the tribe that will be called upon to um, be the public character between the United States and the Nez Perce tribe, uh, the other part of the article, the other part of Article Five in the Treaty of 1855 discusses uh, the building of sawmills, carpentry, schools, uh, hospitals, all the stuff. Uh, and so, yeah, that's expanded upon here in Article Five of 1863. So, um, they say not all the stuff that was outlined in Article Five of 1855 has been carried out. And so this is a revision to that plan here in 1863. The first part is that $10,000 uh, will go to creating two schools, um, which include boarding houses, and they'll be conducted on manual labor systems. So, um, you know, we'll give you the money, and then you'll also have to, like, build it yourself. Um, also, $1,200 for the hospital and furnishing it, $2,000 for a blacksmith shop, and then outfitting it with tools, iron, and whatever else is necessary, and then um, a payment plan over the course of 15 years, $500 each year. The fourth part, talking about $3,000 for houses, for employees, for different repairs of mills and shops, uh, as well as providing furniture and glass for these shops. Um, and this will also have a payment plan for the next 12 years with $2,000 each year for the next three years, $1,000. Um Excuse me. 
and then they also include um, other employees. So, um, you know, the employees that were outlined in the fifth article of 1855. So, you know, that's your carpenters, your sawmills, the people teaching at the industrial schools, at the agricultural schools, the people working in the hospitals, as well as all the superintendents and agents of the different departments um, that all these are falling under, uh, that they are also including um, more employees, so more teachers, more farmers, carpenters, and millers. So basically guaranteeing um, not only employment, also land ownership for white people on the reservation the very reservation that is meant for the exclusive use of the Nez Perce people, so they say, which, again, we all just know is a lie, so just... Anyways, um, I can't even say all because those people are still living on the land. This is still happening today. Article 6, in consideration of the past services... Okay, so Article 6 is making way for uh, Chief Timothy and, you know, giving him money to provide for what he needs just to put up a house and take care of it. Article 7 um, is guaranteeing some place at Seminicum, I believe. I could be making that up. Yep, I am. Uh, so Article 7. Oh, yeah, these are for the horses that they gave back in 1856. So, yeah, they're they're going to pay them out for these horses that they gave to volunteers um, for the Oregon Mountain, Oregon Mounted Volunteers. Um, it's also understood that the aforesaid tribe... So, Article 8... is uh, re reiterating the pledge uh, to be dependent upon the government of the United States and to promise friendship uh, to any white U.S. citizens and that um, US, white U.S. citizens have the right of way over the streams and the roads that run through the reservation and that only the U.S. government can decide what roads and highways are built through there however when they do decide what that is the white settlers will have the right of way on that on those roadways and pathways and in the meantime the roadways and waterways that are being used for transportation they get to have right of way on that now and then as the roads and highways are developed uh, there's also space for hotels and stage stands and other uh necessities that either the agent or the superintendent shall uh, deem um, necessary. You get what I'm saying. Uh, uh, and also, it, it is the agent and or the superintendent um, that is a person that can license for these things. Um, so hotels, any anything for public convenience. And if they need to also claim land to pasture any cattle, um, for the for the service to run then they can also do that and then the commissioner of indian affairs can and with the approval of the secretary of the interior can um, regulate all the travel on the highways and the management of the ferries and bridges um 
so they get to say what's what. And this was meant to, quote, to regulate trade and intercourse with the Indian tribes and to preserve peace on the frontiers, end quote. Um, basically, it's, you know, just another way of taking control of the pathways uh, in and around the reservation. Uh, there's talk of timber and that uh, it's meant for the exclusive property, it's the exclusive property of the tribe, um, except for whatever the U.S. government deems uh, that they need for maintaining forts and garrisons so they can come and take what they want for that stuff. Uh, and then the U.S. is also agreeing um, to reserve springs and fountains that aren't directly connected to the rivers or the streams right there in the in the new territory uh, to keep settlement away from these things as to not encroach upon them uh, and that they can be watering places in common for both uh, Nimipu and white settlers. Article 9 um, is, you know, guaranteeing land for Robert Newell. And Article 10 is just saying all this stuff is obligatory. Um, so that is going to go into effect. Uh, so those are the two treaties, the Treaty of 1855 and the Treaty of 1863, both of which were ratified four years after their signing. Uh, Wow. So then there's the Treaty of 1868. So yeah, moving from the treaties, or from those two treaties, uh, 1868, um, basically the only thing that's really talked about is the timber again, and I think basically is that they're just making a concession so that timber can be extracted because in the Treaty of 1863, it was pretty clear that it's uh, the timber is meant for the tribe and then the U.S. government can come and take whatever they need for forts and garrisons. However, in 1868, then you start to see considerations of uh, expansion in that timber clause where um, – then the superintendent and or the agent can say, actually, um, this can be sold or these people can come in and extract uh, timber and we'll, we'll, we'll say how much it's priced and where it can be done. Um, so yeah, it just opens up that, that timber clause is what we find in 1868. Again, 1871 is uh, the marker of old Joseph passing away. So that's uh, for the Wallawa and then also for the grass uh, debacle for ranchers in that area. So encroaching in the well, the area that's uh, left for the Wallawa, or for the Nimipu of Wallawa. Um 1877, 1887 being the Dawes Act, and then that final execution of the Dawes Act with for the Nespers people specifically in 1893. 
um, breaking it down specifically how it would be. And then 1924, the finally uh, gaining citizenship. So getting back to 